Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny, host of uh, NJSBA's Conversations on New Jersey Education. Uh, we have a special guest with us uh, this afternoon. Uh, before I get to that, though, if you have a question for our guest, uh, who's Colleen McGuire from NJSIAA, uh, the Chief Operating Officer, uh, you can just log into our chat room. There's no fee for that. Type in your question in the chat room, and I will pass it on to um, uh, Ms. Uh, McGuire. Uh, or you can just call in one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and Robin, who's ma- managing your switchboard, will get your name, and I will pass it on. Um, right now is a tough time for everyone involved in education, or I guess involved in almost anything. Uh, uh, to make, we're all doing things completely differently now. Uh, whether it's teaching the kids in the school, whether it's holding sports programs, uh, even at the major league and the professional level, and the collegiate level. These are all difficult decisions. I'm pleased to have with me Colleen uh, McGuire, who's the Chief Operating Officer for the NJSIAA. Welcome, Colleen. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ray. Oh, our pleasure. Um, Well, first of all, before we get into dealing with some of the issues that we're dealing with, just tell us a little bit about uh, how the NJSIAA, uh, what their mission is and how they're structured. Okay. Um, So for those not familiar, the NJSIAA stands for the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. Um, So what that means is we govern interscholastic athletics. Uh, We are um, comprised of, so the association is a voluntary membership of both public and uh, non-public schools. We have about 435 total members um, in any given year. We, of those member schools, we have approximately 283,000 student athletes participating across 33 sports. Um, so those are 33 sports that we award statewide, you know, championships in um, throughout the course of any, you know, given school year. The governance of the NJSIA, while I am the chief operating officer, and we have assistant directors in the office that, you know, administer the day-to-day operations. We're really governed by uh, the executive committee. Uh, and what's great about that is the executive committee has representation from all types of schools, all stakeholder groups, such as the school uh um, you know, your, your association, the school board's association, um, it's approximately 50 people total um, that are comprise the executive committee. So they're really the governing body. You know, your fellow colleague, Steve Shofi, is uh, going to be the president of the executive committee for the upcoming 2021 school year. Uh, so the mission statement of the NJSIAA is to basically provide a safe and healthy uh, environment for interscholastic athletics. We strive to maximize participation by encouraging, you know, uh, many sports, many levels um, throughout the school year that, you know, we we promote the rules that uh, are going to strive for fair play, minimize, you know, risk uh, to the student athletes. And also we do a lot of training throughout the year, not only of our athletic directors, um, but coaches. And we also provide the training for the officials and the judges um, that we use in the different sports. The key to the um, rules is that while NJSIAA will provide the training on those rules, most people don't know that the rules are written by the National Federation 
of high schools, um, which is the NFHS. That's the national governing body that every state association belongs to. They're based in Indianapolis, and they actually share a building with the NCAA. So they're kind of our governing body. So they have their committees that kind of write the rules. So that way, every sport in every state is playing by the same set of rules. Now there oh, are opportunities okay. where certain with certain sports to make like little modifications that are you know state specific as needed, but it's it's not too many. So that's key that people think we just write the rules that the officials use to apply to the games, but that's not true. So when you go to soccer in New Jersey and you go play so- a soccer team in Massachusetts, you're playing by the same high school rules. Um, so so that's the role of the NFHS. Uh, so we are a member of the NFHS just like every other uh, state association. Um, so I hope that's any I other questions on that. On that. There you yeah, go. In the opening minute. There you go. Yes. Uh, and uh, I should note that you're the first uh, woman uh, to lead the association. Uh, you picked an easy time to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you feel any pressure as a pioneer in that area or um, not? Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel more the pressure, the the timing that I'm stepping into. There's a lot riding on this next school year for our student athletes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel really humbled to be given the opportunity. But I look to the the people that have you know paved the way uh, for me to be in the position I'm in. You know, we have you know Kim DeGraw Cole uh, is still you know assistant director in this office. She's been here for about I think eight or nine years. Um, and prior to her, you know, uh, Carol Parsons and Flo. Paragallo are big, you know, they're, they're, they're the pioneers in my mind. They, they paved the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just was the fortunate one to be in the right place at the right time, I guess. Um, so, you know, there, there's pressure. Yeah. You know, I, I want to do well. I want to, you know, this has been primarily a, you know, a male dominated world, you know, athletics in general, let alone the, the world of high school athletics. Um, so I want to make them proud. But I also, you know, I, I, I want to give, you know, that next generation, that role model to, to strive toward, to, to, you know, get involved in any type of uh, profession. doesn't matter if it's been traditionally dominated by males or, or whomever. Um, but I think a little bit more pressure comes from the state that we're all dealing with and getting these student athletes yes. back to their sports you know, and it's beyond the um, the sport itself. It, I, I, I do fear for their social and emotional well-being that they really need to have some sense of normalcy as they start this school year to the best that we can all provide it. So uh, let me just follow up on that because I was a high school athlete, and it, it, it was such a integral part of the high school experience. That I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I could think of my high school experience without it, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's like that. So is that why it's important in your mind to – try to have sports because uh, I'm sure yeah, those kids I who think, lost it in the spring really hurt. Oh, yeah. It was heartbreaking to watch. Um, I think, yeah, absolutely, right? While many kids might go on and, you know, play some sort of sport in college, the large majority do not. Um, and you know, these high school years, they're 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 precious. They they go quick, and they only have you know four years. Um, and these are memories they're going to have for the rest of their life. Um, as far as the value, I think high school athletics plays. Um, I look to you know I two years ago started a student athlete advisory council, and I over the last two years I've had 31 student ambassadors that have been with me, and I've learned so much from them. 
And I ask them to start working on some messaging as to what they want to leave behind as their legacy to future, you know, student athletes that are starting their high school experiences. And, you know, I, I pose the question, you know, what's the value of high school sports? What, why do you play high school sports? So I'll just read you some of the, you know, they, they identified seven key, you know, uh, lessons to be learned beyond the classroom with high school athletics. And it's the, the value and the importance of teamwork. Um, it's learning the effective communication skills, whether it be with your coaches or your teammates or officials during a game. Um, and it's, the, it's that recognition that you can, have com- you can find commonality with, you know, peers that are from different backgrounds, uh, that you develop time management skills. You're dealing with adversity when things necessarily aren't going your way. Um, you, and you, you, you learn a, a critical lesson that self-discipline is necessary in order to succeed and achieve any goal. Um, and then how most, and then lastly, you know, how to win with some class, you know, but also to lose with, you know, keep your head up after a loss. And more importantly, that win with class, meaning show some empathy for your opponents that, that did not win, you know. So, uh, so that was pretty, uh, you know, insightful that these are what the student athletes, you know, came up with over, the, over these past two years. Uh, so those are, I think, the really valuable lessons to take away from what athletics provides, you know, beyond the classroom uh, setting. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. I think it does provide a lot, and that's why we're a little, as we move into uh, hopefully a reopening of schools in the fall, how is the NJSIA trying to roll out the fall sports program? I know they're starting in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so last week was a, a big week. Friday we made kind of a big announcement. Um, but it's it's there's two different, you know, um, I guess not programs, but two areas that you need to differentiate. In the summer, we've always had a summer recess period where schools can, at their option, host workouts on their school grounds. You know, their coach can be there and run, you know, weight room uh, training for the, you know, any sports team, run conditioning workouts, you know, um, and just have the kids throughout the throughout the summer, you know, working out on a regular basis. So this summer is no different to that. However. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, when the governor issued his executive order to return to athletics, he specifically carved out any sport activities that occur under the jurisdiction of the NJSIAA or the NCAA, meaning those bodies will govern and tell you what what you can and can't do this summer. So we kind of got that thrown onto us, you know, kind of, you know, I think it was back in early June. We're not accustomed to providing that level of oversight in the summer recess period. So we quickly, mm-hmm. you know, we had a medical advisory task force in place, and they've been working hard to identify the safest return to play protocols that can be applied for the schools to use um, during this summer recess period. And the summer recess period officially kicked off today. So there are some schools that are, are starting with phase one guidelines that are everything you would expect from not only the pre-screening when the student athlete arrives for the workout, you know, minimizing the contact and keeping the student athletes um, uh, in small pods, you know, uh, for the first two weeks that they work out with a limited group with the same dedicated coach, no more than 90 minutes a day. And then after every two weeks, they, they accomplish that. They move into a next phase, which kind of opens up a little bit more larger groups, more activities they can do, you know, all kind of, kind of common sense stuff. So, that, though, will, yep, sorry. No, we'll just keep going. So the, each phase, it's kind of like the, the governor's phase as, as things yeah. uh, 
move along. Yeah. Okay, we're good with this phase. The next yep, phase. Exactly. And it's also it's as much the it's the COVID-19 concerns as much as recognizing up until now, uh, many student athletes, well, probably in June, they started getting more active again, and some are involved in club sports or other type of travel programs. It's as much like slowly reconditioning the athletes as well, because that was a major shutdown that happened abruptly in March through most of April, May. And, you know, kids really were, even though they might have been trying to do some exercising on their own, not the same level. So it's a slow return to, to like kind of recondition the student athletes. Uh, so that will continue in that kind of phase model um, through August 28th. What's important to note, though, that a school can start at any time during that period. You know, they might not want to start till August, and they'll just start with phase one, you know, and they'll follow the same protocols and, and phases. Um, and some schools I know I heard from, they're just not going to do any activity over the summer, So, which is fine. It's up, Every school is going to handle what works best for them. Um, we just have the guidelines out there for any school that wants to. So that ends so on it's Friday. It's a minimum requirement. It's not a requirement. It's, it's a minimum no, recommendation. Exactly. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's providing so you're that. you everyone a flexibility. Yep. You're, it's that health guidance that schools will look, that need and if they do want to provide workouts and, you know, re-engage their kids in their environment. Um, so like I said, it's all over. Some schools aren't doing anything. Some started today. Some are waiting until August to start. You know, it's really up to the school district. Um, so they're working on that. And then that will go through the end of August. Um, and what we released on Friday is the first model of how we envision the fall sports season could run if the kids return to school in person. As of right now, we know the governor said school will open in person and the school districts have time to, you know, come up with their plan and, you know, submit it to the Department of Education. Um, but I think, you know, common sense tells all of us that this situation is so fluid that for us on, you know, July 13th to know what September 1st is going to look like and the school year is going to look like is a little, you know, naive. Um, so we have to stay flexible. Uh, so what we're, how we're approaching it is that, you know, summer recess, schools do what you want. Here's your health guidelines um, to follow. And then everything stops that Friday, August 28th. By then, we should know what the start of the school year will look like. Will the kids continue to be in person? Is there been a, you know, does there need to be a complete pivot off of that, you know, approach because of changing health circumstances? We don't know. But we're going to target starting in-person practices for the fall sports season on Monday, September 14th. So basically those first two weeks of August 31st and September 7th, we don't want any athletics going on because schools just need to worry about, you know, getting the school year started, getting the students in the building, getting the school day. This is, you know, major changes for everyone, not only administrators, but the students themselves. So let's get these kids in the building, make sure the school year is open and running before we even start trying to have a fall sports season. So if all of that continues to progress as scheduled and goes okay, then we're going to start practices on September 14th, have a you know slightly shorter preseason, not a lot of shorter than a normal year, and then on or around October 1st, we would start competition. And the messaging regarding the competition is we are going to keep schools and student athletes as local as possible, meaning the leagues and conferences are out there now, like rescheduling a lot of games. Um, we're going to run a six-week regular season uh, starting on or around October 1st. So they will, you know, look to update schedules to try to keep the 
the student athletes as uh, close to home as possible, but also to maybe reduce the number of schools they would typically play against. Just another common risk factor, you know, why, you know, expose your, your students in your school community to, to as few as schools as possible, just to help, you know, mitigate any potential risks uh, in that perspective. That goes all well. Then we do have a little bit of a window in in November for close to two weeks where we will run a modified, very regional uh, postseason tournament. Um, we're not going to be awarding any statewide, you know, championships in any sport. That's because we just feel that the, the, the playing field is not level to start the school year. Every school district is going to open on different terms. Every school district is going to be able to, you know, accommodate athletics. Some may not. Um, some may be able to practice many times a week. Some may only practice once or twice a week. Uh, so we want to take that competitive c- concern out of the conversation, and any postseason that we do do will be open to any school that wants to participate. Again, staying with that principle of staying close to home and trying to minimize the number of schools that you you know come into interaction with. So there will be an opportunity for some postseason um, uh, on a you know reduced scale, meaning more regional, sectional, and it'll be done no later than uh, Sunday, November 22nd. So we want to make sure we're done before the Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving break, uh, the fall sports season. So that's looking like all in about a, um, I think it's closer to eight weeks, uh, seven to eight weeks total with the regular season and a potential postseason. So. Wow. That's uh, that's actually a, a pretty methodical way to look at it. And I guess you, as you go along, you'll be your executive committee and you'll have conversations with every, uh, stakeholders just to assess yeah. how things are going along the way. Yep, absolutely. In addition to the, you know, I mentioned the medical advisory task force that we um, have started. I also started up a sports advisory task force, and that has um, eight athletic directors from all different types of schools, but across the state, all really creative, um, all, all smart. Um, so they were, they've been playing the major role in getting the feedback um, to pull together what this first model was that we released on Friday. It's like, okay, if, if we're comfortable that the school year and kids are in person, then this is how we're going to provide them the you know the you know extracurricular athletic opportunity. So now that this is out, we can now start to go to work on. We're going to have backup models for every type of scenario that we can think of that might impact the school year. Meaning, maybe by the end of August, health circumstances don't warrant the in-person opening of schools. So we'll have a backup model that we maybe push the fall season to later in the year, and we we run you know more condensed seasons more consecutively, starting maybe in the winter time. Um, we also have you know uh, we we will plan for let's say during the winter months, let's say schools just can't go in person for a little while because of the peak flu season. If there's a rebound from COVID-19 coming, you know we'll 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 work around that. Uh, so there's like three or four different of those types of scenarios that we've identified. So now we're going to get to work on you know kind of similar building models that we can put out hopefully no later than the end of this summer, and everyone knows what to expect. So at any point when a decision is made, we can pivot to Model 2 or Model 3, and everyone will already have been prepared what, that, what that's going to look like. So we're trying to take away the surprises, um, 
give schools and leagues and conferences maximum notice as to what could be in play. So that way, when the decision is made, everyone's kind of ready. Um, we don't yep. want, you know, we, we don't want to take anyone by surprise, but we also know that there's only so many scenarios that we can plan for. Uh, but there's, I'm sure there could be a couple that do take us by surprise eventually. So. Yeah. Uh, well, we've all been taken by surprise in the last uh, <laughs> four months, I think. Uh, what are some of the, uh, you mentioned uh, the, uh, the committee, the medical committee that you put together in safety. What are just a couple of things that you're doing uh, that maybe uh, the parents don't know about or that's trying to make it a, a healthier uh, uh, experience for the student athlete? Yeah, they uh, so it's three doctors in coordination with Department of Education, um, and the doctors have experiences with you know professional level athletics um, and and different you know, definitely sports uh, specific experience. So their their approach is definitely conservative, um, and they're really good at bringing out you know the concerns if there is either if a student athlete has been exposed and or confirmed you know a case of of COVID nineteen that they need to really, you know, there's health, health, specific health um, steps that should be taking because there is a real risk that many people aren't aware of. Even if, if you had an undetected uh, confirmed case of COVID, meaning you never showed symptoms, never got tested, there is risk that, you know, the longer term health effects from not only like lung capacity, but also there is a cardiac injury that could occur from, from the infection. So really there needs to be a detailed screening with a, with a physician um, to make sure that they don't detect any underlying heart conditions that could have resulted from the uh, infection. So they're bringing to light a lot of those concerns, which was eye-opening to me. And I was certainly on the phone the next day with my pediatrician booking my daughter's, you know, visits and, and sports physicals for the summer, you know, before they <laughs> hopefully start up sports in the fall. But also um, just setting setting the examples for those best practices on the return to play. You know, again, not only from a team concept and, and minimizing risk of uh, transmission of, of COVID-19, but also that reconditioning the athlete and making sure that, you, you know, the athlete's ready to get back to, uh, you know, that level of athletics, which would be, you know, in a fall sports season when they're going pretty regularly and then the competition starts and they're going pretty hard. Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the, the end of the, the interview, and I have to say um, it's impressive that you're trying to do all the scenarios. Um, and I, I ask, you know, there's no small issues when we're doing all this. Uh, what's one of your biggest concerns as we move forward, as you look down the road? You know, two concerns, one, you know, for the association, the other for the student athletes. My biggest concern is, you know, that we we are going to work our hardest for, you know, our student athletes to not lose any opportunities, especially for our seniors. The, the spring was really hard to watch them and their high school careers, you know, without even being on the field. So we're going to work work our hardest to get some participation opportunity for every sport uh, this year. The other, you know, for the NJSIA, this has taken a huge toll on us financially. So I do have concerns about our ability. You know, we have we have some reserves in place. Um, we had about, you know, at any given time, six to seven months of reserves. Um, you know, our viability to weather, you know, multiple interruptions to our postseasons is what concerns me. Uh, we weathered the spring. We're going to take a loss for the year, but 
40% uh, of our revenues typically come from just tournament entry fees and gate receipts. Mm -hmm. And if we're not really running our postseason tournaments to the capacity that we usually do, you know, maybe a limited fall, but if, if there's more cancellations and or serious consequences to our ability to host these, then, you know, I, I know I, I lose a little sleep every so often about the, the longer term financial viability of the association. Um, so, so fingers are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's having a similar problem. I know. You know it's yep. just a tough time. Um, it is. Well, I'd like to thank Colleen McGuire for, uh, from the, the chief operating officer for the NJSIA. Thank you, Colleen. I think you gave thank our members a, a nice snapshot of how the, the association is trying to plan for the student athlete uh, in the fall. And uh, let's hope that we uh, – can have our fall sports season. Yeah, uh, let's hope. I think it, I think the students really want it too. Um, they need it. Maybe yeah, more so than be, anyone else. And I think it'll be good for our communities if there's a high school football game or you know kids are getting back to that normalcy. It'll be really good for our communities. So, yep, yeah, let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. Okay, thank you, Colleen, and that brings us thank to the you. end of this uh, program. Okay, uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you, and have a good afternoon.